Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be reading from verse 15 to 20. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15 to 20. As we come towards the end of the sermon, you'll you remember last week we talked about the narrow gate and the wide gate. And here now Jesus talks about uh, looking for false prophets. So here's what it says from verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. And as we come uh, to the dedications in a few moments and to uh, look at God's word together. Why don't we gather together, church, in prayer? Let's pray. God, we, your people, have gathered and we've come and declared you are holy and we're worshipping you together this morning and proclaiming that you are our God. And God, we want to thank you and praise you for who you are and what you've done. This morning, God, we want to thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you came to us in the flesh. You taught us. Your words were recorded. And today you speak to us as you spoke on the hillside. God, we want to thank you for showing us the way to live. But not only that, we thank you, God, that you died on a cross and you rose again. And that, Lord Jesus, because of what you've done, we can enter through the narrow gate and the narrow road to a destination that leads to life in all its fullness. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth and the life, that there is no other way. And this morning, your church here in Wodonga, Wodonga Baptist Church, we just affirm that our faith and our trust is not in our good works or in our kind of different things that we do in our gifts or in our ministries, but our faith is in you, Lord Jesus. Our trust is in you. And God, this morning, we, we affirm that we trust in you and we seek to learn from you every single day as we come this morning to recognise your goodness to us in giving us uh, children, in giving us your word and in providing opportunity for us to worship and praise you. We just want to say thank you. Thank you for all you've done. God, we thank you for the wedding of, of Jordan and Anthea. Thank you for the blessing that, that would have been for those that were there. And God, we pray for their marriage. Pray that we be one that honours you and is strong. 
God, we thank you for Phil and Michelle and Benjamin and, and for Amelia Grace, this new little baby girl. We ask your blessing on their family in these few weeks as they adjust to this new life that you've given them. And God, we pray this morning for those who are, are sick and those who are feeling the effects of ill health and um, yeah, depression, tough circumstances, uh, really deep hurts that people might feel. And God, we pray that you would be ministering to them, that you would be strengthening them in the midst of their times and helping them to know that you're with them. God, we pray that you would heal those that need your healing, strengthen those that need you to be the strong, strong rock that you promised. And God, we would just pray now for our country too as we move towards election, the elections. God, we pray that you'd help us as, as Christians to be wise in the way that we vote, to really examine um, the, the people that are standing for office. And God, we would pray that you would uh, already be going before and that you'd be leading us. We thank you for this great country and we pray for its future. So God, we commit these things to you. Thank you that you hear us and you speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I should preach like this. This is a bit better, isn't it? Um, inside lay 18 bodies. Men, women and a boy about 10 years old, arrayed in a circle, feet towards the centre. Many wore red and black and white ceremonial robes, some with their hands tied behind their backs. Most had been shot in the head or in the neck. Ten had plastic bags over their heads. Empty champagne bottles littered the floor on the wall hung a painting of a Christ-like figure with a rose above his head. Another corpse turned up in a room off to the side. In an adjoining circular chapel, police uncovered three additional bodies and a jarring collection of clues. An altar with a rose and a cross and a golden chalice. News reports such as this one that came from Switzerland, I think spectacularly highlight the disastrous results of a false teaching cult. In November 1978, 913 people died in a mass suicide in Jonestown. Of those, 200 were children and 200 were over the age of 65. Babies had cyanide squirted into their mouths while adults uh, queued to drink theirs. In Waco, Texas, 87 deaths followed an assault by the FBI on the Branch Davidian sect led by David Koresh. There are many examples of false prophets 
who have caused untold destruction to many people. And Jesus has just finished in the Sermon on the Mount talking about the choice that needs to be made between a narrow gate and a wide gate. The narrow gate leads down a narrow road that leads to life. And few find it. The wide gate leads to a broad road. There are many on it, but it leads to destruction. And now he warns, after speaking about that, about the fact that there will be false prophets. He warns against them. It's not a term that we often use, so it's probably good for us to actually unpack what it, what it means. There are those uh, false prophets from the examples that I've just mentioned who are clearly outside the community of orthodox Christian belief but who claim nonetheless to be the true and the only people of God. However, there are others who speak from within the church who appear saying godly things, but in reality are leading people away from God. Some in the church may say, surely if a, if a person talks about God and heals people, it must be all right. But Jesus tells us that this is not the case. There's a need to discern. Now, the word prophet here uh, really refers to anyone who speaks in the name of the Lord. There were prophets with a capital P uh, in the Old Testament who, whose words are God's word in the pages of Scripture today. People like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And these prophets foretold what God was doing so that God's people would know and, and would be ready. Many of the prophets uh, told many prophecies about Christ's the coming Messiah that were fulfilled. There are no more capital P prophets today. No prophet can rise up and rise, read, add extra chapters to the Bible. The canon is closed. There are no more people that speak the words of God with a scriptural equivalent. But there are also prophets that are referred to uh, often in the New Testament, and the general most widely used of the term is people who speak God's word so that others can understand. That's what I do each Sunday when I preach. It's opening God's word and explaining to people what God is saying to us. Now, I have no right to ever change or add anything uh, that is not uh, to, to these scriptures. The scriptures are closed, but a prophet is one who explains and expounds God's word so that people understand what God is saying. So therefore a prophet could be a teacher, a small group leader, someone who uh, speaks as an evangelist or uh, is in a study group somewhere or someone who just talks to somebody else about what God's word says. There's also another uh, use of the word in scripture for prophet and that's someone who um, says that God is speaking a word right now for someone in someone's life, for a church or for people and will share what they sense God to be saying to them. This gift is talked about in 
uh, 1 Corinthians in uh, between 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14. And this is a small p prophecy gift. And we see Abacus in um, Acts who, who told the Christians that coming would be a time of famine. This is after Jesus has died and resurrected and the early church is happening. He, he, he prophesies that there's a famine coming and the Christians need to beware. Also in Acts 21, Abagus prophesied the kind of death that Paul would, would experience. Now, these people who have the gift of prophecy, uh, their words should never take on an equivalent of the scriptures. In fact, we should weigh it by how in line with the scriptures it is. And we should always be careful. And that's what the term prophet can mean, three kind of meanings. And so Jesus says to us today in this message that we have to be very careful about who the prophets are and we have to look out for false prophets. The fact that Jesus warned us to watch out for false prophets must mean that they're around. I mean, you don't go putting a sign on your fence, beware of the dog if you don't have one, do you? Maybe you do if you want to scare people. (laughs) But the fact that Jesus says beware of false prophets means that they're around and we should be aware of them and we should be looking out for them. Now, I know that they're around. Just two weeks ago in the morning and knock on our door in my pyjamas, and someone knocked on the door and says, hello, um, we would like to give you a little magazine called The Watchtower. And I said, look, actually, we're Christians. And, oh, so are we. I said, oh, are you really? You know, I said, so you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Oh, yes, we do. Do you believe Jesus is God? Oh, no, we don't. Um, so you say you're Christians, but you undermine who Jesus said he was. The one you follow, you deny who he was. And I always say to Mandy, I want to be loving to these people, but I find it very hard when people go round our streets and tell people that they're Christians, but deny the deity of Jesus Christ, that he was God in the flesh. And then we go to the Bible and we look and it's, they've got a different translation that changes the Greek to show that in the beginning was a word and the word was a God. And, it, and every time we go to something, it's changed. And I think, I tried to be loving, didn't I, honey? <laughs> but I ended up looking them in the eye and saying, you are false prophets. And I just wish you would not go down our streets pretending to be Christians. Tell them you're Jehovah's Witnesses. Tell them that you don't believe that Jesus is God. Tell them that if they leave this group of people after becoming members that you won't be able to talk to your family ever again. Tell them the truth. There's a need to beware of false prophets. Um, Not only are they around, but the truth is that they're not obvious. Um, They're not obvious because Jesus says that, you know, they're not going to turn up on Sunday with a big sign over their head saying, false prophet, look out, you know. Jesus says that they actually appear to come 
in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. They appear harmless, even godly. You know, we embrace them. Often many people become their greatest supporters, but they're wolves. In ancient Israel, sheep were at the mercy of the wolves, especially if a hired worker was looking after the sheep. See, if there was a hired worker looking after the sheep, when the wolf comes, the hired worker weighs up the fact they're going to get paid a little bit and should they risk their life? And they run and they take off. And the sheep are left alone to fend for themselves and the sheep scatter when the wolf comes and the slowest sheep to get away gets eaten, devoured, ripped apart by this ferocious wolf. If, he was, if the sheep were being looked after by a shepherd, then he would do everything he can to look after the sheep's. In under every circumstances. I remember I was at Baronia Baptist Church when I was at Bible College and I had a subject that I had to do for uh, Bible College about Christian leadership. So one of the projects I had to do was to speak to my senior pastor and I asked him, you know, could you list to me the 10 most important things that a pastor can do? And so he, got, he loved this kind of thing. He said, right, I'll tell you. He said, the, number one, he said, preach a word. He said, that's what I do above all else. He said, if I can get people to understand God's word and live it, then wow, that will save so much. If people can know God's word and live it, number one, above everything else. He said, the second thing I do is I step on the wolves. Step on the wolves. He said, what what the church must be is a place where there is justice and people are free. From, so there's no wolves. Wolves are trying to get in. And he said, part of my role as a shepherd is to step on wolves. Then he looked at me as I was ready for number three. He said, the rest just don't really matter. They're the two. And I went away thinking, wow, there you go. But he was a shepherd and he cared for the sheep. And he didn't want them. You know, why is this so important? Because wolves, by their very nature, rip sheep mercilessly apart. They rip them apart. And therefore, there's a need to identify wolves and there's a need to to really deal with them either by running a mile from them or chasing them away. And it seems to me that the reason why there are so many churches that remain divided and stagnant is that wolves are left to wander just among the sheep. Time and energy is wasted Correcting the teaching of false teachers, uh, false prophets. Instead of sharing the gospel, the church becomes involved in, uh, in, in trying to deal with these false prophets. Instead of caring for the poor, instead of being a prophetic voice to the community uh, that God has come in the person of Jesus Christ, instead of uh, de- doing all the things that a godly church should be doing, they get preoccupied and exhausted with false prophets rather than simply throwing them out. One of the reasons why we don't throw them out is because they say some very godly things. Sometimes they even win people to the Lord. Maybe pray for healing and people get healed. Remember in Exodus how the uh, false prophets were able to mimic the plagues and 
And sometimes the power that they have is not God's power, but comes from somewhere else, but they can still do miraculous things. Inevitably, inevitably, a significant group in the church refuses to believe that they could be a false prophet. And that's what makes them so difficult to deal with. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could find a way of identifying false prophets so we could actually deal with false prophets in the church? Wouldn't it be good? Love it. Well, Jesus says you can actually test false prophets. There's a way that you can uh, check out whether they're genuine or not. And he says, this is the way. Look at their doctrine. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has actually been saying that false prophets are those who not only speak about the narrow gate and the narrow way, they are not concerned uh, to, to warn people about the destination. So that they don't talk about the narrow way and they don't talk about the destination that's coming. They kind of pretend that everything's okay. They don't say the difficult bits. They set themselves up sometimes as defenders of biblical truth, but don't tell people that the way is narrow, that the way is disturbing, and that and therefore they can just sort of say every way's okay, come, and they get quite a hearing. These people remind me of certain prophets in um, Jeremiah's time. They, they were people uh, that were uh, saying these kind of things. Look what Jeremiah says, from the least to the greatest, they are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. You know, these people play down the narrow road and the, and the destruction at the end of the broad road. And they wink and they say, peace, peace, it's all going to be all right. Don't worry, don't worry. When really the message should be one of grave warning. Christ is coming. You will have to give an account of your life. Do you know Jesus? Has he died for your sins? Are you on the narrow road? It's even possible in... Uh, some circumstances that everything that the false teacher says is true, the false prophet, but because they leave out difficult bits, they don't tell the whole truth and their total message is false. And in the end, the sheep are led away to destruction. So Jesus says, be careful. Look out for false prophets. Look out for their doctrine. You know, as I reflect on this passage today and I think about how it affects us today, there are so many people that have a, a broad road. You know, I, I've talked to, to uh, people who are Christian leaders of churches who, who have said, you don't really need to call people to repentance. Everybody's going to heaven anyway, loving God like that. You know, you think, no, it's not like that. There are other preachers today uh, who have a different message that says Jesus came and lived his life as a poor man so that you can become rich. And he's not talking about spiritual blessings, they say. He's talking about money. Look at the context of these passages, they say. And Mandy and I have been at a conference one time when the whole heart of the preacher's message was God wants to bless you financially. 
He became poor so that you don't have to even think about being poor. Our hearts were ripped apart. Mandy wept physically during the the, the message. We had to leave. It was so disturbing. Who wouldn't resist an offer like that? If Jesus is saying, money is available, it's all yours, trust in me. But it doesn't sound like the narrow road to me. I think one of the wonders of being a Christian is that often we find ourselves in pleasing places because we learn about self-control and managing our finances and working hard to honour God and trusting God with our finances. And we do find often that we have a lot to give away. But to preach that that's what Jesus is all about is absolutely abhorrent. There are many other ways in which you see false prophets that water down the gospel and I've heard people preach this and teach this kind of thing that whether actually Jesus came and died on the cross is, and rose again in, you know, historically is not important. What's important is that the disciples actually believed that he came and died and rose again. Whether it actually happened is secondary to whether they believed it because look, they really did believe it and it transformed them and see how much they were inspired by that. But it doesn't matter whether it was true or not, whether it really happened. And these people that talk about an Easter faith that is all about uh, the, the thoughts of the disciples rather than the actual historical fact of the crucifixion and the resurrection are subtle differences that deny the authenticity of what actually happened. Paul says, look, if Jesus didn't die on the cross, if he didn't raise again, then we're still in our sin. And and there is no life for us. False prophets lead many to destruction. They lead along a road that leads to destruction. Jesus says we're to beware of them. We're not just to tolerate them. We're to stand up against them. We're to run like crazy away from them. And we're to challenge them and deal with them because in the end, they devour sheep. They devour us. They try and devour people. So the first way is to look at their doctrine. Good test. Do they affirm that the Bible is God's word, every part of it, and this is our guide to living? Or do they deny it? Do they talk about a narrow road or a broad road? Second way I think that Jesus in this passage tells us is that we're to look for their fruit. By their fruit, you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes or thorn, from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. The second thing here, what Jesus is saying, is that you'll recognise people by their fruit. You'll recognise a false prophet by their fruit. There's some trees around in Jesus' day and they looked like fruit, but they had berries on them and they were terrible. And the berries were not actually berries that you could eat. They were horrible. They tasted terrible. And you'd look at the fruit, but as soon as you put them in your mouth, they'd be horrible. And there were other uh, trees, that there was other um, things that looked really good. It was the same with things that looked like figs that grew out from thistles. And people would look at these and think they looked good too, but when they got to them, they realised it was just a flower and it looked like a fig and it just you wouldn't even try and eat it. So Jesus is saying here that when you look at a tree, you might look and think, wow, 
the fruit that it's producing looks fantastic, but the proof is in the tasting. What does it taste like? By their fruit, is it good fruit? Is it the fruit that will, is actually good fruit that's going to feed you and nourish you and help you? Are their lives full of good fruit? Now, this is what Jesus is saying in this passage. And I think what he's saying is what's inside of us comes out. If you have someone who loves the Lord, who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who begins to preach and teach, then the things that are inside come out. If you have someone who is using the flock, who is using the sheep, who is deceiving people, then what's inside and hidden underneath will come out. It takes a while for fruit to grow, doesn't it? A tree doesn't automatically just start to bear fruit. It doesn't grow as soon as you plant it. You've got to wait sometimes and you've got to wait and see. Hearing and listening to what's happening as you hear someone, as you watch their life. But often the fruit that you taste, you'll know after it stumps to come, whether it's good or bad. So do you know what Jesus says? The way you can pick a rotten apple is by tasting its fruit. That's how you can pick a rotten apple. You can tell a false prophet by their fruit. Just want to Say, look at people's fruit. The first thing is the fruit of their character. What kind of fruit? The fruit of their character. You know, in Galatians 5, uh, Paul says that those, this is the life that is um, lived by those who are in the spirit, who know God's spirit, who, who have God's spirit at work within them. They start to bear fruit and the fruit of these kind of things, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, just run those things through your mind as you're listening to somebody who's speaking to you saying this is the word of God. Have they got love in their life, joy, peace? Are they a patient kind of person? Self-control, gentleness, kindness? Is that the kind of fruit that I see in this person's life as well as in their teaching? And the other thing as you're listening to someone who's prophesying, uh, you could ask them, ask yourself, you know how Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount began in Matthew 5 by talking about blessed, blessed are those, uh, blessed are those who have this kind of character, those who follow me. Run those through your mind. Are they, do they display humility, righteous, righteousness? Uh, do they have a thirst for that? Are they merciful? Do they, are they meek? Uh, do they have purity? Uh, in their life? Do they have all the characteristics described in the Sermon on the Mount? Look at the way they love their loved ones. Look at the way they are. Are they generous or are they expecting to receive from you? Do they love their neighbour? Are they proud or arrogant? Do Do you feel manipulated under their teaching or do you feel free? Do you feel like under their teaching you're inspired to love God more or less? Do you, do you feel like you're called to some sort of program when they're teaching? Or do you feel like you're called to come to know Jesus more? Hey, we're not looking for perfect leaders or perfect prophets that don't have anything wrong. But we must look for fundamental flaws in people that are speaking to us in the character of these people. If they exist, beware. Also, another thing you can do is look at the fruit of their ministry. It takes time for fruit to ripen. 
But over time, a person's ministry will start to bear fruit. And it shouldn't be too hard to figure out whether it's good fruit or bad fruit. You know, is their teaching producing a congregation united in love, full of joy, living in peace, full of kindness to others, doing good and showing themselves to be fruitful, gentle and full of self-control? Is it producing the sort of people that Jesus uh, talked about and commanded he wanted through the Sermon on the Mount? They're good questions. They're good questions. The final thing to look for is the fruit of their relationship with Jesus. You know, what are they like in private? John 15 says, uh, abide in me. uses the image of the vine, Jesus as the vine and we're the branches. And he says, if we stay close to Jesus, if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But with, you know, without him, you know, we can't do anything. So the way to produce fruit is to personally know Jesus Christ, to be connected to the vine. Do they pray? Do they do secret acts of kindness? Do they fast? Do they confess to God and cry out to him? Jesus says two ways, I think. Look at their doctrine and look at their fruit when you're looking to see if someone is a false prophet. The next verse says what happens to them. Um, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. By their fruit, you will recognise them. False teachers will eventually be found out. Earlier in life, this might come out when people just say, I hate their fruit, I'm running a mile. And they don't have a ministry anymore because everyone underneath them gets hurt or wounded or destroyed. Or it might be that the fruit of their life is a sin that just brings them down terribly. Or it could be at Judgment Day when they face and stand before Christ. But they will be found out. They will be found out. Church, two things. In your life, be very careful who you allow to teach you, to lead you, to speak God's word to you. In your small group, in your life, um, make sure that the people that are teaching are genuine, true prophets. Secondly, the only way that you can bear fruit in your life is to be connected to Jesus. It's not about trying to be better and working harder and being gooder. You know, you just, it just doesn't work like that. It's hard work. It's exhausting. And you know what? It's religion. It's empty. Of course we want to do God's <laughs> bidding. Of course we want to respond to him in obedience. But the reason we want to do that is because we know him and we love him. Enter through the narrow gate. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and you will bear good fruit because what's inside will come out. Well, church, our desire is that our church would be a church that just thrives, that grows, that goes from strength to strength because our teachers are, are, are preaching God's word. We're wrestling with it. And from our lives and your lives, fruit is growing. And people come and say, wow, God is here. 
God is in this community. God is in the lives of these people. So diligently pray for your preachers and teachers and pastors and be one who seeks to depend on Christ and to love him with all that you have. Let's pray. God, we pray for our church. We ask that you would keep us unified and strong. God, we pray for the teachers and preachers and those who have gifts of prophecy. Oh God, we pray that you would help us to discern uh, the messages that come through and the things that people speak. And God, we pray that the end result would be that this is a place where wolves are dealt with and where sheep are free to feed, to feed on your word. God, help us each be those that bear fruit in our lives. We recognise that apart from you, we can do nothing. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.